0: We've seen a ton of success with asking some sort of question front and center, in addition to some of those more eye-catching, scroll-stopping, creative styles that you can implement at the beginning of the video. Don't let it just be a flashing light that stops you scroll. There has to be some sort of direction for where the rest of that video is gonna go. Watch somebody else watching TikToks
1: or Instagram Reels. If they like a piece of content they don't wanna see, they'll almost keep going within like 0.3 of a millisecond. What's really beneficial of being able to use custom thumbnails on Facebook is that you can put whatever you want on that. So just before they actually get into watching the video, they see that custom thumbnail. If you can put something in there that's gonna make that person wanna watch that video to get to that or to find out more about what they
2: just saw, your chances of holding on to them for longer are then increased. There's nothing better than hanging out with your best friend, someone who finishes your sentences and knows you better than you know yourself. It's time for retailers to be their shopper's next best friend. With BlueCore, brands can match shoppers with the products and offers they want to see next across all digital channels, including SMS. So put the power of a personal shopper in your shopper's pocket. Visit BlueCore.com to see how brands like Noble, Express, and Bliss are making shopping fun again and becoming their shopper's next best friend. Hello and welcome to All Killer No Filler, the D2C podcast. I am here today with some key members of the Pilot House team, Kyle, Liam, and Evan. We're going to talk about a document that we've sort of created on the Pilot House team here in order to audit the performance of our campaigns and our marketing structures around the brands that we work with. We've come up with a series of uh, inspections that kind of go around three core topics, which are traffic, creatives, and customer experience. And within there, we We've sort of blocked off a bunch of key checklist point inspections that we think brands should be thinking about heading into the summer, and we're going to talk today about some of the critical ones in each of these categories. Liam, this list is sort of your your baby so far. Kick us off in the traffic category. What does a traffic audit look like, and what are, what are the key things that we focus on?
0: Sure thing. Yeah. So I think the the first the first piece of just thinking. About fundamentals and traffic really starts with data management. So, when we're going through this this checklist, if you will, we really start to look at you know all the way down to just how is data passing into Facebook. When we look at things like incrementality behind our, our overall ad spend um, and you know historical relationships between site sales and uh, ad dollars going out, regardless of of the actual actual channels. So, you know, a really simple example of that could even be down to things like the pixel and, and cap implementation, right? Like what uh, event parameters are passing in when you look at the purchase conversion event in events manager, you know, sometimes, you know, we've seen clients coming to us and they have acquisition problems, like, like a lot of people might have. Uh, and when we go in and actually start digesting some of the implementation of what are generally considered to be pretty, you know, copy-paste, straightforward integrations and setups between Shopify and Facebook, for example, um, a lot of the times uh, parameters aren't passing through and there's things that, uh, you know, down to the very technical nature of, of event tracking that uh, could be optimized further. Um, you know, in a, in a recent example, you know, we saw that for all purchase events for a client, it was really only email, last name, first name, and user agent that were the parameters that were passing in under purchase events when generally speaking uh, we see country city um, you know last name first name zip code state more than double the actual event parameters that were you know matching up and this is super easy oversights um, but have you have you never really like looked under the hood got into how your pixels tracking events, how the event matching is is backing out with with Capi, um, you know. A lot of the times, I think people would be surprised to just see what type of optimizations have been um, sort of left on on the table. And the same the same is to be said with backing out attribution and then understanding really just the broad ecosystem of of tracking throughout everything that you know you're running from from an ads perspective.
2: I like that the first point, uh, you know, focuses on incrementality because I feel like everything that you mentioned kind of after that really feeds into that because that's that's sort of the buzzword that I think so many. Um, d 2 founders and marketers are looking for now. It's that true sense of incrementality. And it sounds like it, basically all of the data management analysis that goes into it is really just trying to help you really understand what that incrementality is so you can allocate resources effectively. Is, is that right?
0: Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, when I hear incrementality, the, f- the first thing I, I go to is, you know, we can think about the two sources of truth, which is ad dollars spent and actual revenue, like net sales dollars on Shopify or on your site. And obviously that's the, the most simplified version of incrementality. And as we spend a hundred more dollars on Facebook, how many more dollars can we realistically expect on the end of the day sales, regardless of the attribution piece? It's really in the interest of trying to take the gray area out of the, the conversation. The other version of that is, you know, triangulating performance, right? Like, are you incorporating view attribution when you're optimizing campaigns? Are you cross-referencing your Facebook conversions and what campaigns are, you know, working today with Google Analytics and backing that out to last touch click attribution to really try and paint that holistic picture of what campaigns are actually creating value. Um, If you, you know, and taking it even the the step further and adding in a, a data partner to, really try and digest multi-touch attribution and get an even broader sense of the, of the ecosystem and, and incrementality. So that, that to me is the actionable side of incrementality is, is not just taking platform attribution that pays value, um, taking those necessary extra steps that are more work, but at the end of the day, paint a much more accurate picture of where the value is coming from on platform.
3: More work, but like pays dividends, right? There's two things. Um, there's the clarity and for your planning decision making, talking to investors or your boss or whatever it is, get that clear data. But there's also just feeding these systems so that they work better. And, you know, if you're if right at the start here, uh, Liam was talking about pixel tracking. And it seems so normal. We've all been doing this for so long, but literally half of the people that come in, you know, through our onboarding process, we have to redo it all because it's wrong and it's feeding these tools incorrectly. And therefore the campaigns aren't making as much money as they they could be. Um, so let, let's get down this list.
2: That wraps up data management. So within this traffic category, then the next one would be once you have your data foundation, you got to start testing to create more data. So what does an audit of a brand's testing process sort of look like?
0: The first thing we look for is, are you creating statistically relevant data to make decisions, right? And that really comes down to controlling variables. When we look at campaigns labeled as tests versus campaigns that are considered to be scale, generally the the difference is something is proven versus something is in the act of trying to find what a a winner is. And so we we really like to boil that down. Um, We have a ton of different strategies for creating buckets. There's like the macro angle sub angles, unique uh, selling points, and really setting up campaigns in a way where even if the actual performance isn't good, and generally test campaigns don't see, you know, necessarily that high ROAS that you'd be going for. The point is data creation and data validity to actually, you know, inform creative builds, inform page builds, and ultimately just find those winning components that you can double down on, and then use that to get the, the ROAS that you're after.
3: Well said, Liam. I think so. Is Eric, is it okay if I just rip these off line by line here for everyone? Yeah, go for it. So within testing, we've got our pilot testing and discovery of angles, like Liam said. So we're literally testing, you know, five to ten different angles as a starting point. Annualized testing strategy, Liam, take it from there. Yeah, so so annualized
0: testing strategy, this is specifically relevant for brands that, are, that experience seasonality. And sometimes there is, uh, you know, a benefit to adopting different mentalities, pushing different products, just having a different strategy for different seasons of the year for whatever that that seasonality piece is. So this this refers to just the broader 12 months of the year. What should you be doing for different periods, however you want to segment them?
2: ATS, annualized testing strategy.
3: Uh, Audience matrix testing. Real quickly, what is that? How can people do it? This is the controlled variable testing what we just
0: spoke about for angles, but for audiences instead. So think about this as just your, um, your testing ground for finding winning audiences on, on Facebook and how you can actually confidently decide that an audience is working versus ones that aren't.
3: So what you're going to do is test your angles and those creatives, and then you're going to move it down into your audience testing isolated. Very cool. Leveraging your owned audiences. This is a
0: big one that's left on the table, a lot of cases, is CRM data. Are you building, uh, lookalikes is like one of the most, you know, sort of low-hanging fruits there where you're using audiences that that you own, whether that's your email list, um, you know, customer list, et cetera, to basically feed back into Facebook and, and create audiences with. But know there's a ton beyond that that you can be doing one of the first ones that comes to mind is Clavio integrations where those same segments that you love to take advantage of on the Clavio end you can do the same for integrating those on Facebook and and interact with them you know in a really segmented granular way if if a strategy supports that
3: and the last one is comment mod Um, just quick takeaway here and then we'll keep going but um, you know historically We've seen 50, 15% revenue gains on, on comment mod that's done right using, you know, link out actions and, uh, you know, phone numbers. So just something to address if everyone's forgetting to, to manage their comment mod correctly. Helps your social proof too, which is a big part of it. Drop CPMs, keep your quality score high, and Zox happy.
2: Love it. So we've got our testing framework. Uh, we've got our data management architecture. Uh, what is the third component of the traffic audit inspection?
0: Yeah, so we've got campaign structure uh, as as sort of that third piece there for traffic. Starts out by, you know, one of the first things we look at is prospecting and, and retargeting relationships. So literally it can be as simple as, uh, how much ad dollars are you putting towards prospecting cold traffic? Is it really cold traffic? Uh, in terms of exclusions, or is there you know opportunity for some of those warmer middle of funnel audiences to sort of seep in there, um, and then retargeting is uh, you know is there a steady cadence of new traffic coming in that can support the the retargeting budget that that you're running, um, and then looking at that overall ecosystem and and adjusting uh, you know budgets to to basically put your Facebook ad account in the, in the most efficient place possible.
2: I'm just curious with, with this audit that we're describing, is this work that we sort of eventually give to someone in a full report or is this stuff that it actually is hands-on bids being changed or is it like, we suggest we change your bids for the following reasons?
0: Yeah. So this, this checklist is all in, in terms of like a, a, from an audit perspective is, is all recommendation based and, and very much like actionables are, are what are being delivered, but it's all at you know, at a recommendation
2: very cool.
3: With that being said, though, Eric, obviously, you know, the guts of this is built from how our teams are working, right? So for, for people out there, you know, this is very much something that, that they can apply to their campaigns, give to their
2: teams and uh, have success, you know, with or without us. It's all good. All right. So what else within campaign structure? We've got the whole prospect retargeting ecosystem, we've got exclusions. What What else is being sort of looked at in the campaign structure side of the audit?
0: Yeah, so then we get into your subset of campaigns that are sort of dedicated towards testing versus consolidated scale. Consolidated scale refers to basically the winning audiences that you now have from your matrix testing, the winning angles that you have from your pilot testing, hopefully the creative and pages that you've built as a result from the pilot testing. Um, And and really, those those are just meant to be consolidated variables that have all been proven out. And, the, you know, they have been thoroughly tested. The data is there to support putting ad dollars, you know, towards someone in evergreen fashion. Your testing campaigns, those are, are very much designed to be, we're running now to, again, like find that data and eventually make that decision and then move on from it. This is what's going to ultimately, re, you know, reduce the efficiency of your ad account in the short term, but it plays the role of, informing those scale campaigns that allow, you know, th- th- those higher efficiencies. So a similar way that we look at prospecting and retargeting ecosystems, you want to make sure that you have a, a, a healthy testing to scale ratio in your ad account as well.
2: Uh, let's keep going. What What is the next feature you are looking at?
0: Yes, yeah, so we get into vertical and horizontal scale. So this is really the the actionable side of, of when you're in your ad account and you wake up, first thing you do is open up Facebook ads manager and you see campaign X is performing above average or above your the, the median sort of KPI set that, that you're looking for. How do you further lean into supporting winning you know, winning campaigns, winning variables. Vertical scale refers to all changes that pertain to the actual budget of that campaign or ad set. So, either increasing it by twenty percent to try and you know not mess with learnings too much, or if if you have the data to support it, doubling or tripling down on a campaign budget because it's all, for example, cold traffic and the the costs you're seeing are are that strong. Horizontal scale is also applying more budget towards a winning variable but in this case you're doing it by running more campaigns or more ad sets of it so usually this has to do with iterating in some some degree whether you're changing the bid strategy or attribution window or you know at the ad level creative or copy pieces um, but you're duplicating it and running more of them because you have the data to support that being a, a winning asset.
2: Very cool. And this will help determine like which is the better strategy kind of thing, where to put budget or just sort of a, sort of overview of, of how things have been done.
0: It's, it's really just in the tr- school of thought of how to do more of what's working while it's working. Right. Like how do you, you know, today increase the volume or efficiency of, of your ad account? Um, that's really where vertical and horizontal scale come in.
2: Nice. And then the last two features are around uh, the, the, the ad types that you're actually using in your campaigns. I, I imagine there are a lot of advertisers that aren't taking full advantage of some of the new effective technologies.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, dynamic ads are definitely not new, but I think that the way, especially post iOS 14, the way that dynamic ads fit into your Facebook ecosystem um, should be you know, thought of um, as a very specific type of you know low-hanging fruit customer acquisition, we've seen dynamic ads work in prospecting. In some cases, you can you can move them up the funnel, you know, depending on the your brand's offer. But there's you know absolutely strategies that you can be implementing with dynamic ads to let DPA's. Clean up that low-hanging fruit in a really efficient way. Basically, converting the people that are on the edge, um, and then letting your you know top of funnel and middle of funnel uh, campaigns be really creative focused, really um, you know intent focused.
3: Hey Liam, on that, let's let's give the audience a takeaway here. What's uh, what's one of those strategies that they can run home with today?
0: Yeah. So we've seen very successfully just letting dynamic retargeting ads, really focus on view product audiences and add to cart audiences. Obviously that's a part of building dynamic campaigns that are focused towards catalog sales. So first step is picking your top performing uh, products, making sure that you have a a catalog consisting of um, all of your top performing Facebook products, turn that into bottom of funnel dynamic retargeting ads that are focused on showing people who are viewing or adding those products to cart more of those products. If you want to take it a step further, you can also duplicate that uh, that collection and actually change out the uh, specific assets. Usually, when we see DPA's, it's like the classic white background with the the product over it. It doesn't have to be. You can you can use um, different Shopify apps or uh, you know templates to basically insert any any videos or images that you like for those dynamic ads. The point is is you're showing just those people that are on the edge more of that product that they've already sort of showed, um, you know, interest in and just run that in an evergreen fashion, don't touch it, let that, that bottom of funnel product focused DPA just convert the people that are entering the funnel through your top of funnel and middle of funnel campaigns.
2: Tax season is over, but that doesn't mean your e-commerce company shouldn't stay on top of things. It's a hassle trying to find a strategic tax advisor that can ensure you have the right financial data needed to make critical business decisions. Look no further. The veteran team at 1-800-Accountant has your back. Boost your profitability with 1-800-Accountant, America's largest virtual accounting firm. They have the on-demand accountants you need to formulate your year-round tax strategy. They offer an entire suite of professional services, including payroll and bookkeeping, to make sure that your I's are dotted and T's are crossed. Get started today by scheduling a free appointment at 1-800-accountant.com slash DTC. Speak to an expert who will show you how to get the most out of your business year round. That's 1-800-accountant.com slash DTC to schedule an appointment now. Let's talk about the other aspect of traffic. They used to say data is the new oil, and I guess data is still the new oil. But creative is also a new kind of oil for how valuable it is in this media buying experience. So, what do we look at? I don't know, Evan. If you want to kick us off here, like, what do you, what do you think is like the most important thing that to look at first when you're doing an audit of a brand's sort of creative output?
1: Creative is data, Eric. All the same. That's true. Um, Great question. I think the first thing you need to look at, there's a, there's, a, there's a couple of points. You need to make sure that, I'm probably looking at maybe 100 ad libraries a week, I would say at this point. And what you need to make sure you're looking for and what you have is that you have a lot of diversity in your ad account. So you're not just running one or two creatives and, and hoping for the best, um, even if they're performing, right? You've got to be taking advantage of all the different types of ad creatives that you can. Obviously, Liam listed some of the different ad types you can. You know, that there's a whole other suite of different types of creatives you could be putting in there, not just image and videos, you can put in things like GIFs, carousels, making sure that you're doing things on real specific story specific. You know, if, if you have the option to test it, test it. And then the other part of it, what you're gonna be looking for is velocity, right? Making sure that you're actually testing the right amount that will that will allow you to unlock winners at scale and will open up opportunities for you to iterate and scale from
2: those winners as well. And in the previous part of the traffic aspect, you'll already know, you know, whether or not your your budget supports your testing aspirations as well, right? Yeah, 100%.
1: Um, you know, wh- wh- you, you want to make sure obviously you're not... <laughs> You're not running ads that get like $2 spend a day. And then, you know, because they don't get a sale, you're turning them off. You want to make sure that you're you're getting the right amount of, of data and spend that will actually give you a full story. But there's other things to look at as well, right? There's, you know, it's not just having a look at how much has been spent and, and the return on that. Obviously, right now, we're, this isn't Q4. We're kind of entering the summer, the mid-Q2 period. And it's a really, really good opportunity to start, prepping for Q4 and start doing all this testing that when Q4 comes around, it's just going to be all hell on earth, right? Um, so where I go with that is you know, making sure that you're not just looking at the return on each ad creative, but you're looking at all the, all the front-end metrics too, right? You want to see what your click-through rate is like. You want to see what your CPCs are like. You want to even see what your CPM is like. And being able to use that to tell a story and being able to use that to your advantage to decide on your next steps. You know what I mean? So you might not know, be getting sales from it, but you've got really good clicks, right? Don't just scrap it. Figure out what you can do with that.
2: Um, and one of the biggest low-hanging fruits with, with your creative are, are the things that you can do with your thumbnails. Can you, uh, Liam, can you tell us a little bit about the, the thumbnail hacks we like to look for in accounts we audit?
0: For sure. One of the, one of the you know, biggest mistakes... Uh, brands make is just running videos that were from, you know, from some other platform or were, were originally created for something other than, you know, Facebook ad because generally the first three seconds of a video is the most important for holding someone's attention and actually like creating that intent to watch the rest of, of the actual video itself. We've seen a ton of success with asking some sort of, you know, not necessarily clickbaity, but have some sort of question front and center um, in addition to some of those more eye-catching, scroll-stopping, creative um, styles that that you can implement at the beginning of the video, but don't let it just be, you know, a flashing light that stops your scroll. There has to be some sort of direction for where the rest of that 30, 45 second video is going to go. If you can front load some sort of question or some sort of hook, in addition to that scroll stopping, you know, design feature that you're trying to, you know, stop the doom scroll on on Facebook or Instagram with um, generally that, that leads to more intent and longer video view time. Specifically with
1: thumbnails too. If I can add to that, um, a really fun, a really really cool social experiment to do is to watch somebody else watching like TikToks or, or Instagram Reels, right? And they're doing the, the doom scrolling, because like I know obviously the three second hook is super important and catching them really really on is super super important. But if you watch somebody scroll through, if they land on a piece of content they don't want to see, they'll, they'll almost keep going within like 0.3 of a millisecond. So I think what's really beneficial of being able to use custom thumbnails on Facebook is that you can put whatever you want on that. So when people, just before they actually get into watching the video, they see that custom thumbnail, if you can put something in there that's going to make that person want to watch that video to get to that or to find out more about what they just saw for a split second, your chances of holding on to them for longer, getting them to watch more of the video are then increased. So long as it's a good thumbnail. Otherwise, it's, you're just going to piss people off.
3: Well said guys, you know, something that we like to do, um, which it's almost, I'm not going to say guaranteed, of course, it's not like that, but um, basically you take your best videos. So you have historical data on them and you're like, well, you know, what? I'm going to try to improve them or the videos, you know, a bit of banner blindness, maybe your CPM's are going up on them. They've been running a while. Uh, you just take that video. You isolate it, so you test it separately, and you throw ten different thumbnails on top of the same video, and you're going to find an improvement—that incrementality thing—which is kind of what this thing's all about. You're going to probably reactivate that video into a winner or a banger again. So, um, give it a go. Let us know how how it works out. You just take your your best videos, you isolate them, you maybe run ABO. You can do it in different ways, but just you know, test a bunch of different crazy contrasting uh, thumbnails in, in front of that thing, and I'm I'm sure you'll find a win.
1: I got another one as well as that. If you take your best statics and just put them as a thumbnail on the video as well. Genius.
2: You know, when we're looking at ad libraries too, like you probably just see, okay, they're using UGC, they're using a, a product benefit statement, they're using, so there's probably like, you know, one of the last things we have on the list here is, is like the must use templates that that advertisers need to be kind of looking at. How do we, how do we quantify that? Like what templates are we sort of looking for there and, and which ones do you think all brands should kind of have in their repertoire?
1: This is really good for if you're a brand who might not have a $10 million a year budget to spend on advertising or creative. Um, you know, some of the some of the top ones that we've seen work, that I've seen work across multiple different verticals, different size accounts, whatever, different times of the year are the ones that like really, really kind of create that connection. I know it sounds very airy fairy to say, but create that connection with between your brand and the person who's actually gonna buy it, right? So things like a founder story is so important. Giving your brand a personality and a person. Eric, if I come over to your house and I try and sell you this hat, I'm probably going to, be able to have a lot more success selling you this hat I just made than if I just sent you a Slack message asking you to buy some hat that I saw online, right? Founder story is, is just such a good way. And you can get so much content out of that immediately. Just take a, an iPhone selfie video of yourself talking about why you set up a brand. Another big one, uh, obviously unboxings. UGC is obviously huge, right? But unboxing, right? It just creates that level of tangibility if that's even a word that your product actually exists and of course anybody can just make that up right but as a consumer if you're in any way hesitant you're skeptical you don't know the brand maybe it's your first time seeing it having that insight that point of view shot down of somebody opening up the product and they get to see the packaging and they get to see the little welcome message that's sent with it um, and they get to see the product being held by somebody that'll add a lot of value as well and then the third one is warehouse footage if you have access to your warehouse uh, whether direct access or you know if it's if it's overseas you have people there who can do it just photos and videos scrappy as you want of the manufacturing process of people stacking big pallet boxes full of your product people have this thing where they see like tons and tons of boxes of the product and they go crazy for that right because again it just gives that tangibility it gives that like realism to the to the product uh liam i'm not sure if you have anything any other templates you want to add
0: to that or kyle Yeah, I love love founders and warehouse stuff. It's generally the the most uh, conducive with top of funnel. I was also just, I mean, these ones are maybe some of the more obvious ones, but like testimonials, there's like UGC, but then there's like the subcategories of UGCs where it's like, Evan, I think you mentioned just like, unboxing content but there's also just really simple like take a photo like it doesn't even have to be an unboxing like take a photo of your product in the open box like that is something that we always recommend and, and try it ourselves um there's the uh, i don't even know what you would call this one but there's the writing on paper, like taking a Sharpie and writing one of those questions, like I mentioned, on an actual physical piece of paper. Um, You're not telling and everyone then, that, man. <laughs>
3: that's made us so much money. That's
2: a classic. <laughs> a classic
0: yeah. Classic it's, like, scrappy it's just like, it's, 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 it's crazy what, you know, what actually ends up working some of the, some of the times, but, um, you know, what is your question? Like write it on a, on a piece of paper and front load a video with it. Like that's, um, super easy and it can, make a make a very immediate impact
2: on performance i love it i want to see more of those bob dylan videos where people are you know just changing the sign and it says different things i I don't see enough of oh yeah yeah
3: let's change the world eric (laughs) let's do it quick question sorry before we jump i know i know we're passing time here but just two questions regarding ratios um within accounts and so there's basically our creative mix guys like what do you like to do top of funnel middle of funnel and bottom of funnel for retargeting what type of creatives go where and then the question after that is going to be um, promotionals. and then how do you how do you get by avoiding that? But then you know when when do you use those promotions for brands that are uh, promotion avoidant?
0: It's a trick question
3: because
0: we like. I mean, it's just being funny. But first thing is we like to test different all these different templates. We like to test them throughout the funnel and let the data point. Let, let, let the customers vote with their actions. We follow that that data and then further support. So if we see that warehouse content, I mentioned that's generally something that's conducive to top of funnel. If we see that that's working and, and prospecting, then we're going to, double down and, and go in, and I'm gonna to go to Evan and I'm gonna to go to the design team and say, hey, if we want to get more warehouse content for, for top of the funnel. Generally the scrappier stuff, the stuff that's gonna stop the scroll, um, lends itself more to cold traffic, just because that the job of those campaigns and those adsets is to stock the pond with audiences that then your retargeting funnels can convert over time. Depending on your, your product and the pricing, that time frame can look a lot different. So on the retargeting side generally again we want to test this throughout the funnel but generally speaking that's when those testimonial UGCs reactions like you know anything that evokes some sort of emotional response really help people start to get over the obstacles and and aversions to to completing that purchase the goal should be that every impression sticks that prospective customer with one new piece of information that helps them get one step further to to completing the purchase Um, and then the other side is is influencers influencers sometimes work in cold traffic but generally speaking you want there to be a considerable portion of your retargeting dollars going towards ads that are first person from influencers that are advocating towards your product or offer and more of like a third party validating style. So instead of it being a brand saying, buy our product, it's, a person saying buy their product, and they are the ones that are explaining those those key benefits. Generally, something that lends itself more to retargeting, elongating that funnel, um, and, and sticking those value points to, to people as they go through that experience. Um, but we like to let data be the one that really decides that for us.
3: One quick thing just to add, I guess, but uh, also just that that like polished branded like product feature, product benefit like photo shoot, you know, high touch stuff, that stuff works amazing in middle funnel and bottom of funnel, like loaded up with all those beautiful product shots that you have.
1: I can't remember who heard, where I heard this from. It's not an original, so I'm going to paraphrase it. I, I don't know if I heard like an ebook or a podcast, something that was years ago, but they described basically like the, the you know, top, middle, bottom of funnel um, advertising strategy when it comes to creative in basically the exact same way that you would like approach somebody at a bar right that you were trying to hit on right your top of funnel stuff has got to be sparking an interest right it's got to be disruptive it's got to be creating that curiosity you go up to somebody at a bar and you're going in with a big bottom of funnel play telling them about like all the savings they can get and telling them about how you have this like you know house and getting down on your knee and like trying to propose them they're just not going to be interested right they, they probably get that shit from weirdos at the bar all
2: day so they're just going to scroll past it's like saying how is your day on tinder yeah it's yeah not going to work no one cares
1: exactly that's something that you say when you're like married for like 20 years how was your day right but yeah so basically what they, they 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 break it down by saying that you know at the top of the funnel you want to just get curiosity you don't want to give too much information away you don't want to show all your cards you just want to get their attention somehow and then once you have their attention you can start going in with like your usps right oh hey like i i do this like i got this or whatever right and that's when you start you know getting at that middle of funnel stuff you're talking about like the usps your product your service whatever And then you can also look at getting, and you start getting that bottom of funnel, all of a sudden your friend comes over and they're backing up all the stuff you're saying, right? That's your UGC, that's your influencer stuff, right? You're building that trust with them. And then then at which point you can get down on one knees. That was terribly paraphrased, but I think you get the point, right? Like you want to start with the curiosity and then once you've built that trust, then you go in for the kill.
2: Wonderful metaphor.
1: Works for me in advertising, doesn't work for me in the bars.
2: (laughs) Nice. Well, we'll follow up on that more soon. Uh, This also gave us the first two major sections of... uh our you know, audit product that we're, that we're discussing here now, Traffic and Creative. We'll be back to talk about the third aspect of these audits, which is your customer experience, including your CRO, your promotions calendar, and a bunch of other things. We'll have uh, Liam back on to discuss these soon. If you want to get in touch with us about these audits, if you think your brand might be uh, in a position to want an audit on your traffic, your creative potentially on your customer experience as well, you can just reach out on uh, Pilot House's content contact form. And uh, we'd love to work with you on it. The ones that we've done, they end up being about a 50, 60 full, you know, full, full draft report, right, Liam? They're long. They're long and they're detailed. That's fun. Fun stuff to work on, just to be able to see so many brands out there. And that's the thing that, that we realize, I think, is is that when you look under the hood, a lot of times, there's a lot of different ways to do things. And uh, and it's it's good to be able to apply some of the things that we've learned over the, you know, the millions that we spend every month.
0: The audit is a, is a great thing um, just to, you know, if you've got a great team and you just want, you know, an, another pair of eyes so to, to try and get in there and throw, you know, fuel on the fire or solve a problem, it's really what, what it's for.
2: Cool. Well, we'll be back to talk uh, the customer experience aspect of the audits, and until then, uh, catch you guys later. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumer.alloneword.co. all one word, co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.